Welcome back for the afternoon service. A little bit different schedule today. Enjoyed lunch. Uh, it was delicious. And I am now tired. So this ought to be interesting. But You're not going to fall asleep on this, right? <laughs> I might. This is why I, I don't necessarily like afternoon services, but it was necessary for today. But uh, this is part of the reason, because I love my afternoon naps. So... Uh, this is my nap time. So really, if I, you look so much better after you take one. I know. If I fall asleep standing up, um, just let me fall. It'll be all right. Fall on the other side, not the side of the Yeah. So last week, uh, in the book of John, we saw in John chapter 9 that Christ healed the blind man as he was coming out of the temple uh, right after they were trying to stone him to death, Christ took the time to meet with this blind man to put clay on his eyes and send him to the pool of Siloam to wash, and he came back seeing. And um, God definitely showed himself powerful as this man left. Uh, he left blindly moving through the city and washed in the, po- in the pool, and God blessed him for his faith. This week, uh, this man is now... Uh, as most Christians do, as we uh, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to know Him as God, uh, and as our Lord and Savior, we often have then just put a large target on our back, and this man is going to walk right into a tumult in the city, uh, centered around him. The whole city is going to be in an uproar. So, uh, John chapter 9, we'll start in verse number 8. The Bible says, The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Excuse me. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. They brought to the Fer- <clears throat> sorry, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay on mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. And that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. For who hath opened his, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Let's pray. Father God, again, we love you. We thank you so much for your wonderful blessings, the blessing of your word that you've preserved for us for all these years, the truth that it holds, the way that we can live our life and serve you and know that we are a child of you. Lord, we thank you for the food and the fellowship this afternoon, for the visitors. God, I pray that you would bless this service, that you would share your truth with us, that it would mold us and shape us and change us into the men and women that you would have us to be. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us this afternoon and this evening as we travel to Pleasantville and present the ministry there. I thank you so much for Brother Potter and his willingness to have us in. So God, please guide and direct us today. Again, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We have disbelief. I mean, we start out in verse number 8. The neighbors therefore and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. They couldn't believe that this man who had lived his whole life blind is now seeing and They didn't recognize him. There's been a change. Now that change wasn't physical. He still had the same facial features, the same hair color, the same height, the same clothes, the same voice, and probably even the same smell. Nothing was different except his sight. This brought to mind for me, as I've been back here in my hometown, it's it's been interesting to run into people from my past. People who were very close to me as I was growing up, but now don't recognize me at all. I've told you, I think a couple of weeks ago, I ran into one of my stepmoms at Walmart. She was married to my dad for 13 years. Uh, And as I came up behind her and tapped her on the shoulder and said hi, she didn't recognize me. She had this very, very, very confused look on her face. It wasn't until I smiled and she saw my dimples that she recognized me. She could see the child behind the beard. My appearance had changed. Over the last 20 years, I've not gotten any taller, but I've gained a little weight. I've grown some facial hair. It's changed and become gray, some of it. My mannerisms, a lot of things have changed about me. But this man literally had walked from Christ to the pool and back. Time really hadn't passed. The only thing different in his life was that he had been healed and now he knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was. For us, I wonder how many people see that difference in us. As I've met up with some of my classmates and things, uh, many of them struggle to believe that I'm a pastor. They struggle to believe that there's something different, that I'm not the same young man I was 20 years ago. But then I meet up with people that 
I knew that have gotten saved and have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they might not believe exactly as we do, but you can see a difference. And we see something in each other that points to God and to His grace and to His mercy. These neighbors asked, how do you see? Now, it could be the fact that tripped these people up, that, that this man was moving around on his own, that he didn't have his usual person accompanying him, leading him around the city. Could have just been the pure joy in his face or the sparkle in his eyes. But they saw something different. Their first question is, how were, your, how were thine eyes open?" They knew something drastic had changed. Something that was impossible. So he tells the story. And I, I want you to notice here that he tells the story almost exactly as it happened. In verse number 11, he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. He included all of the pertinent details. He included the pool of Siloam. He included Christ. He included all of the details in this first telling. Direct to the point. No flowery words, just plain, simple truth. As the courts would say, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So now the crowd understands that somebody affected this man's life and they begin to seek Jesus. They ask, where is he? And again, the man gives the truth. I know not. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus wasn't there. The man just simply says, I know not. And we understand that he never saw Christ's face. He only heard his voice. So it could be that he just simply didn't recognize Christ as he was standing in the crowd. But I think there was enough time that passed that Christ has probably moved on. And we're going to find out next week as we continue on that he does run into Christ at the temple later. And they do come to understand each other. But he simply said, I know not. I believe that in this not knowing is also a desire to know. And for us, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to be introduced to His grace and His mercy and His love, there should be a desire in our hearts to get to know Him. If we don't desire past the idea of salvation and placing our faith and trust in Him so that we don't go to hell, if we don't desire a relationship with Him after that, something is wrong. These neighbors, <clears throat> they couldn't find Jesus, so they did the best, next best thing, and they took the blind man to the Pharisees. I don't know if that was the next best thing or the absolute worst thing they could have done, but they took him to the Pharisees. And this should be a joyous occasion. We've seen this multiple times already with the Pharisees, that somebody who is healed, somebody who is, who is made clean and made whole, it should be joyous. It should be 
happy. But it's met with disbelief and even anger. This takes me back to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we are introduced to the maniac of Gadara, the man that uh, was up all night cutting himself, crying in the tombs that couldn't be bound by chains or fetters. And, And when Christ comes off of the ship after the storm, that he miraculously, supernaturally stops in the middle of the night, the maniac of Gadara immediately meets him and Christ uh, removes from him a legion of devils. And those that witness it go into the city and they tell the people of the city what's happened. And as the people of the city come out, they don't seek to rejoice with this man. They don't seek to give God honor and glory for what Christ has done in this man's life. Instead, they look at their their pigs that have committed suicide yeah. <laughs> and gone over the cliff. Good night. They, they look at the financial loss that's happened because this man has been healed and they, they plead with Christ to leave their coasts. They demand that he leave. They don't want anything to do with him. The Pharisees, they they want to get the story straight when really they want to just gather more evidence against Christ. They ask again how this man sees and notice his reply is still absolute truth, but it's different. He says, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Now just from my own experience with people telling the same story over and over again, and dealing with people of different attitudes. I I believe the neighbors, some of them actually were joyous. Some of them were eager to hear the story. But knowing the Pharisees the way that we do, and knowing that anything that happens at this point that's anywhere miraculous, they're going to blame on Christ, not for good, but they're going to blame on Christ, I believe they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And as they seek this... I really do believe that they are gathering evidence. This is like speaking to a police officer taking a report. And this man immediately begins to get defensive, I believe. And and he has a little bit of an edge to his voice as he just simply says, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I see. This man understands that there will be no fanfare. There will be no joy, only trouble is to come. He's beginning to get frustrated with the questions and maybe even a little sarcastic. I picture him speaking very slowly and deliberately. The sparkle of joy that had just lit his eyes quickly fading away. And the immediate reaction of the religious crowd is that this man is not of God because he healed on the Sabbath day. Again, We've seen the Pharisees over and over again, just like water off of a duck's back. None of Christ's teaching has gotten through. They don't care that a great miracle has been done. They don't care that a man's life has been changed. They simply care that Christ has broken some earthly law. Talk about hard hearts. There are some, though, who pose the question, how can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? 
The Pharisees can't answer this. But I can. The Bible tells us that a good tree brings forth good fruit. In Matthew 7, verses 17 through 19. Matthew 7 and verse number 17 says, Even so, I'll start in verse 16, or verse 15. It says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they, inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. It's impossible for a good tree to bring forth evil evil fruit and for an evil tree to bring forth good fruit. The answer is a sinner could not do these miracles. We've been going through the book of Esther and, and I've pointed out several times that many of the things that happened in the first three chapters of the book of Esther could have been accomplished by Satan. And they absolutely could have. But from this point on, Mordecai has now admitted that he's a Jew. And from this point on, the miraculous things that happen in order for everything to line out, for the Jews to be able to defend themselves and to be saved could have only come by God. The Bible goes on to tell us that a house divided against itself will fall. Satan can't cast out Satan. The Pharisees accuse Christ of casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. He says Satan can't cast out Satan. If he does that, his house won't stand. But this question brings on more disbelief. The Jews now begin to question whether this miracle actually happened or not. And honestly, I don't blame them. As today we are bombarded by televangelists and healers that bring down the Pentecostal power and heal those that are in need. It's interesting, though, that they don't walk into the local hospitals and clear out the cancer wards. Instead, they roll some poor soul up in a wheelchair and slap him in the forehead and they get up from the wheelchair and walk only to never be seen again. And to have not have been seen before. They tell you if you send in your send in your offering, they'll send you their handkerchief that's covered in their sweat and it will heal you. The world tells us if I pay a dollar and pick six numbers, I can be a millionaire and all my problems will be solved. I saw today on Facebook a man in Ames just won $250,000 on a scratch-off ticket. But I wonder how much money he wasted on those tickets over his life. My dad always called it his his stupidity tax. Because he was stupid, he paid a tax and bought $5 worth of lottery tickets every week. I'd hate to think over the last 40 years how much he's wasted. Well, 40 times 10 would be 400 so yeah I don't even want to think about it it's a lot a lot of money that's been wasted the problem for these Jews though is that there's a multitude of witnesses 
that know and understand that this man truly was blind. There was irrefutable proof. And now he sees. So they call his parents to ask them if it's true. Imagine. This man has been blind from his birth. He's obviously old enough to speak for himself. And they have to say, they have to go to his parents. Is this your son? Was he really born blind? And his parents, they answer, but they choose fear over faith. There's the fear of loss. As his parents acknowledge that in fact this is their son, and in fact he was born blind, but they know not how he was healed. They lied. They know exactly how he was healed. Verse 22 tells us that these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. They allowed fear to overrule their faith. The Jews had already agreed that if any confessed Christ, they should be kicked out of the synagogue. I say good. The synagogue, as we've seen through all of the book of John, is a den of idolatry and man worship. But it is interesting for us how we often fear the things that are really the best for us, especially when it comes to our witness for the world. There was a time in my life that when I got saved and began to go to church, I feared telling the men around me, the men on the fire department, the men that I was putting my life into their hands. Because I was afraid they wouldn't be my friend. They wouldn't. That they would hate me. That they would no longer trust me. Most of the time, though, the things that we fear aren't a bad thing. Because those that would be offended by our faith, those that we would be offended for not, or for uh, proclaiming your faith, or those friends that you would fear that you would lose, or people that are not leading you in the right direction anyway. They needed to get out of the synagogue. They needed to become Christ's disciples. We also see a fear of the truth. The crowd continues their questioning and again seeks answers from the blind man. Even he who is blind understands at this point that arguing with him is pointless. They demand that that he give God the glory and the praise for what's happened. Well, that's what he's doing. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, walking this earth. He is giving Him all of the praise and glory. The Jews bite back and they say, We know that this man is a sinner. It's a sinner in whose eyes? As we saw last chapter, they were ready to condemn him before they had any evidence. Nicodemus himself asked, do we judge a man before hearing the evidence? The only evidence that they have of Christ is all of good deeds. The only thing that they can accuse him of 
in anything that he's done up to this point is that he's helped his fellow people. He's healed. He's calmed the storms. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead. They ask again how he is able to see and this time his reply closes the door. He'd had enough. He says, I've already explained it to you and you would not hear. Would you hear it again so you can be his disciples? He's not going to waste any more breath. The Bible tells us not to argue with fools and this man is going to heed that that direction. He says, I have explained it in plain Hebrew, simple words that even a child can understand. Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse number 24. Says, Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. through all of this in Matthew starting back in verse number 13 Christ is just prescribing woe unto the scribes and the Pharisees he's pointing out their hypocrisy but in verse number 24 you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel now I don't know about you but I know brother Jesse's probably experienced this brother Bob you probably have too you used to ride a motorcycle I know when I was riding my moped back and forth to school, I was very thankful that I had a full face shield helmet. One of the few times that I rode with the face shield up, um, I had a bug fly in my mouth, and I about wiped out choking on this little nasty little bug. But isn't it amazing today that we're no different that people can swallow without effort the idea that there was nothing and nothing exploded and created everything. Or that a giraffe came from a horse who couldn't reach food any longer. My children, they've just started taking big boy medicine. They've started taking aspirin and pill form or ibuprofen or Tylenol, whatever it is. They, They don't get the liquid stuff anymore. And it's always so funny the first time they try to take these pills to watch them struggle to try and swallow it. <laughs> Abby still can't. Um, you know, my brother-in-law Joel still can't take pills. He, it, it's, it's about like a dog. You have to wrap it up in ham and shove it in his mouth and hold his nose and his mouth shut before he swallows it. <laughs> But yet, if you've ever, I mean, you guys just watched my boys eat. They don't take little bites. They can put away the food. But something as small as a pill is almost impossible to swallow. Swallowing the lies of the Big Bang or evolution is like swallowing a basketball compared to trusting in in the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who created everything. That's what they're saying here. 
the man asked them, would you become his disciple? And this only goes on to anger the Pharisees. Next week, we're going to go through the rest of their reaction. And we're going to see the blind man reconnect with Christ. And I look forward to seeing that blind man one day in heaven with his perfect body, his eyes that sparkle with the light of God. Matter of fact, as I've said before, when my wife passed away and now uh, having been to the homegoing service for Mary Schindel, I'm a little jealous. They are seeing our Savior face to face right now. I look forward to that day when I can actually see the man that saved me. When I can see the God that saved me in the flesh. And not just have to imagine what he looks like. How closely this blind man mirrors our lives as our eyes have been opened and most of those around us doubt what's truly happened.